Welcome to Tesserae. I'm Bob Stevenson. And I'm Steve Cartwright. Thanks for joining us as we explore the integrated Christian walk in light of the ways that it's been dismantled. A prophetic voice is understood, at least partially today, as speaking truth to power. There is an institution, a nation, a power that has lost its way. Maybe it's guilty of sin, of injustice, and it's being held accountable by this prophetic voice. It's warned by this voice. It probably isn't always listening to this voice. Uh, And I think we take our cue from prophetic voices, primarily from the Old Testament prophets. They didn't serve as fortune tellers, but as mouthpieces of the Most High, communicating to God's people the message from Jehovah himself. In multiple upcoming episodes, we hope to discuss and better understand the place of the prophetic voice. And today we begin that discussion with a guest who will help us gain some context for these Old Testament prophets that many of us have been reading for years. With us is Dr. Andy Abernathy. He's the Associate Professor of the Old Testament at Wheaton College. He's also one of my favorite big men to play basketball with, but we will save that expertise for another day. Uh, Welcome and thanks for joining us, Abernathy. Yeah, it's great to be not just on the court, but now we can be in the studio uh, via Zoom together. So (laughs) thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. Love it, man. So to begin, I would love for you just to walk us through a little bit of um, the role of the prophet in the Old Testament. Yeah, that's a great question, Stephen. And you really uh, introduced it well there. Your your profs at TEDS, where we share the alma mater would be proud. Um, Really, you, you hit it on the head when you called the prophets mouthpieces, right? And when you think of the prophet as a mouthpiece, they're spokespersons for God. And that's really their main um, responsibility is to serve as a voice that is bringing God's voice to God's people. Now, we could build from that kind of basic understanding of prophets as God's mouthpieces and the, the, the way that we, I think we should build upon that um, comes from a, a wonderful little book by Walter Brueggemann. It's called The Prophetic Imagination. And what he does in this book really revolutionized my understanding of what a prophet was. I think I could have said that they were mouthpieces for God. I think I'd figured out that they just weren't fortune tellers telling the distant future where you can kind of piece together the end time eschatology or something like that. But what Brueggemann helped me really see is how the prophet is carrying out a really important social function. And he uses this idea of the eternal now and this just sound this can be confusing because for some Christians, they may think, oh, eternal now. D- does that mean like we have heaven on earth? And that's not at all what Brueggemann's getting at. What the eternal now is, is a mentality that a people or a nation or a church has adopted that's right now is how things are supposed to be and how they will always be. It's this mentality where you're like, hey, when I look at the world, how it is right now, when I look at everything I see, just this assumption that this is how things should be, this is how they always will be. 
And what Brueggemann helped me see is that the prophet speaks into that with the word of God and, and, and does uh, two things. The prophet will critique that and say, no, 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 no. Right now is not how it's supposed to be. Hmm. This, this now that you're living in is not what God's desiring here. And it, the prophet steps in and will critique those systems that have kind of settled into this is just how things are and says, no, you don't have to stay in that. God is going to be doing something to overturn all of these systems that seem so fixed and seem so much like how they're supposed to be. And, and it's a critique, if you will, of those powers. On the other hand, so you have critique, but you also, the prophet also energizes or gives hope. And in particular, there's always within this kind of eternal now, people who don't quite fit, people who aren't benefiting from how things are right now. And to help the people see and to encourage and say, no, there is a much brighter future ahead in terms of what God is up to. And so giving those who might be on the outs in terms of um, the powers of the time uh, a sense that, hey, let's endure. There's hope. God is involved. God is going to bring about change. So so I think when we think about then the prophetic voice, it, it, it's this prophet who will use a whole variety of means as a mouthpiece of God. You got Ezekiel like laying on his side and eating food roasted over dung. And you got Isaiah going to the potter's house. You got Isaiah or Jeremiah going to the potter's house. So Isaiah's like walking around naked, you know, they have all these means of like, of, of communicating, but, but you also have them speaking glorious truths about the future you have them just going hard and calling out sin, calling things what they are, and um, also have warnings of judgment that are coming. So there's this whole range of, of things that the prophet's doing. But I think in that, all of those things, a, a common thread is that they are serving as God's mouthpiece. And the hope is that those who hear it will turn and align themselves with God and with his ways and with what he is offering. So, so that at least introduces a bit of, I think, what, what's coming to my mind. And I'm happy to talk more about the historical kind of moments that these Old Testament prophets are in, but that at least gives us a general sense of how the prophet is uh, functioning. Building on, on that kind of introductory um piece, I'm curious of the relationships of the prophets to um, the kind of interior um, culture or society versus the exterior. So the, the prophets we're familiar with in the Old Testament are mainly addressing uh, Israelite society, right? Um, under the Mosaic law. And so you you had the um, the fusion of uh, civil and religious life, um, you know, which were obviously inseparable. 
Um, but occasionally they also address the nations. So talk to me about the dynamic um, of the prophetic voice to both uh, inside and outside. Is it different? Does it function differently? Is the intention any different? Yeah, this is a great question, Bob. And it's one that has a lot of implications to for today, because like sometimes when you read the prophets, you can say, well, this was a word for the nation of Israel at that time. And then the extension is, well, therefore, we can't pretend like the prophets are speaking to America today, because that's not the nation that's in view, right? But what we have is obviously, you know, the majority of what we see spoken about in the prophets is directed to God's chosen nation, Israel and Judah. But, and, and as you said, the, this nation was, had really pledged that they would live under God's kingship um, by obeying what God had commanded at Sinai. And the prophets are, are calling Israel and Judah to account for worshiping other gods. Um, they are oppressing their own people um, and a whole host of uh, things that we may get to. But to your question, the, the, there's a strand within the prophetic literature where these prophets are speaking to other nations as well. And if you look at Isaiah, chapters 13 to 23 are a collection of oracles against other nations. You see a collection at the end of um, Jeremiah 45 to 52. You see another collection right in the middle of um, Ezekiel, I, I think in chapters maybe 25 to 32 or so. And then you see in the prophets or the minor prophets, you, you have a range of oracles against the nations. And, and I think if we just step back on the bigger picture, what the prophets are helping Israel see is, on the one hand, Israel is seeing that it's not just the nations that are going to experience God's wrath, but that Israel, as the insiders, as God's people, are not exempt from experiencing the wrath of God. Because it's striking, for example, in Isaiah, that Isaiah is saying that Judah and Israel are going to get judged because of their pride. But then you look in the oracles against the nations and Babylon is getting judged for those very same things of pride. If you'll see that in uh, Isaiah 13 or, or it, you'll see similar pride of Assyria in, in chapter 10 and then el elsewhere, you'll see it of Tyre in chapter 23 of Isaiah. So, so there's this sense that like, Yes, God has a special relationship with Israel, but, but wait a minute. God is going to be holding all nations to account, even his own chosen people. And so I think one of the cutting kind of vibes you get from the prophets is they're trying to help the insiders, the people who think they're on good terms with God to see, hey, they're not going to miss out on judgment. They are under the sovereign Lord's judgment and he is going to hold their their them to account but the other thing we see in, in and i'm going to turn to amos here for this is it's striking 
Um, if you look through, say, the start of Amos chapter, chapter 1, to ask what is it that he's bringing judgment to these neighboring nations around Israel about? And that kind of gives you some insight that says, okay, there may be some things specified in the Sinai covenant that God is asking his chosen nation, Israel, to particularly do. But God is also the one who has some moral expectations of those who are even outside of the chosen nation for how they're supposed to live. And let me um, just read a couple of these here. Um, for instance, uh, Amos chapter 1 verse 6 says, For three transgressions of Gaza, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Okay, now Gaza was a major city of the Philistines, okay? So we're thinking kind of right along the coast. And God's kind of saying, okay, God will not revoke punishment from Gaza. Why? Because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Edom. This would be an example of what I would call human trafficking. They have taken people into exile and the idea is that they've now delivered them over to Edom, in a sense, selling them for um, selling human lives for the sake of, um, you know, monetary or political gain. Um, you'll see a similar punishment of Edom if you look at verse 11 in, in Amos chapter 1. For three transgressions of Edom, and for four, I will not revoke punishment, because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity. And his anger tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. There, there's a sense of like, look at how violent you're being towards those that you're engaged in strife with. And so I think, you know, when, when you look at... Uh, the, the, these words to other nations, you, you've got, you're struck with this sense of, it's not that God is just upset with the injustice and the wrongdoing among his own chosen people. All humanity have the gaze of a compassionate God on them who wants that all people to be able to be treated well. And that God holds nations to account who don't do that. Um, so, Bob, I, hopefully that's getting at a bit of what you're um, inviting me to speak into is the, these prophets as a voice that is uh, really an international voice. And the reason why is this conviction we have. What's the conviction? There is one God over this whole world. He's a creator of the heavens and the earth. There are no other gods besides him. And if he is the God who's created the whole earth, then he is the God also who, in light of his um, holiness and all of his attributes of who he is, he is going to hold the whole world to account. I'm, I'm curious, something I've, um, I've preached on, a uh, few of the prophets, not a whole lot. Um, but w one thing that I've kind of wondered is like, did these guys, you know, send these prophecies kind of on 
um, in copy form via Pony Express to the Assyrians and to Gaza? I mean, how, was it delivered to them or was it just for Israel's benefit that they were spoken within the context of Israel itself? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And if you figure it out, you let me know. Uh, I, I get asked oh, this almost every semester. They're like, so um, did Isaiah go to Babylon and like stand in front or like, how is this a word uh, against them? And I, I think there's a mystery to it. Um, there's also a sense where you get a few glimpses. I, I think it's in Jeremiah where it talks about these envoys to the nations. And when we think about Israel, like during this time, there's a lot of, if you look at where they are in a map, they're like right at the center of a ton of travel. You got, I mean, obviously they're right next to Edom and Moab and Ammon and Philistia, but then you have Egypt to the south, you have Aram to the north, you have Assyria and Babylon traveling through this region. And so there are diplomats that were coming along these times. And you do see one mention, I'd have to look it up, um, where it is, where, where it talks about bringing a word to these envoys, where, where maybe they're able to hear it, perhaps bring it back. The other thing I find striking, again, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah is a fascinating book because it actually gives you a lot of insight into the life of the prophet and how he communicated with the, the people. For, mm-hmm. for instance, remember when he, uh, he has his scribe, um, Baruch, take uh, uh, his... Um, a copy of Jeremiah's writings and Jehoiakim just shreds them in fire. And then he's like, well, then I told Baruch to write this all out again. And we added some more to it, you know? Um, but in Jeremiah, what, one of the cool things we see is now Jeremiah was in Jerusalem when Babylon was really putting a lot of pressure on him. But part of uh, the folks in Jerusalem and Judah had already been taken into exile and the folks in exile were saying, woohoo, we're going to, we're here, but we're going to get to go back really soon. You know, that's what the prophets were telling them. And Jeremiah writes them a letter. And we're told about this letter that gets carried by uh, one of the um, uh, officials, um, like kind of a postal service, if you will, um, to bring that to a group of exiles, you know, and let them know, hey, you know what, settle down build houses, marry off your kids, seek the welfare of the place you're living in, because it's going to be 70 years before you get back. Mm -hmm. So, so that sort of passing of what we now see in the book of Jeremiah in letter form um, to this community makes me think that um, there could have been some travel uh, and carrying of letters and messages uh, to these neighboring places. Um, but as you mentioned, there's a really important role, um, for Israel, just simply to hear what God's going to be doing to the nations. Mm-hmm. And it, in a sense, vindicates God as the God who, as they look around and they see Ammon or they see Edom or Moab fall, or they see Assyria fall, they're like, yeah, our God anticipated that. Our God knew that was coming. This isn't surprising to God or, you know, it's reminding them of um, the God who holds them, uh, all nations to account. So so there's certainly that benefit for the 
Israelites to hear of what God's plans are for the nations too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's helpful. That's really helpful. It is. So at the top, I mentioned truth telling, kind of truth speaking. Uh, and we do in a modern context, talk about the prophetic voice as, Hey, going into this space, you don't know if it's going to be well received, probably won't be, but you're here to, to speak truth to a situation or to a reality. Uh, yeah. Is there is, is there more to it though? Can you generalize prophecy in Old Testament literature in this way? Yeah, I think truth telling is a good good way to talk about it at a very minimal level. But as we you've said in the opening, and as I, I've tried to say, there's a difference between telling what you think is the truth. And telling what God is saying is the truth, right? Right. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, the the Old Testament prophets have a "Thus saith the Lord" sort of authority to them, right? And they have, um, you, you know, it's another fascinating thing to look at. A lot of what the prophets were saying was not believed at the time. Especially Jeremiah, people thought Jeremiah is a false prophet, but then that he gets vindicated, and his words had been preserved, and they're like stamp of authority. Thus saith the Lord. Um, so, so I think there's a slight difference. I would say if we're using the idea of okay, we want to be a prophetic voice today. I think we need to recognize a capital T from a lowercase t right? We've got the truth, capital T, which has been revealed to us in the scriptures. But then there's also um, a lowercase t, where I think God does raise up prophets for his church today and for society at large. And I think what we want to see, uh, especially for those having a prophetic voice in the, for, uh, as Christians, is to try to sink themselves so deeply in the capital T truth of the prophetic word and the scripture that they're almost like, uh, Kevin Van Hooser uses this idea, we're almost like improvisational actors who you've like just drank in the script so deeply mm-hmm. that you can like improvise the uh, what God would call you, how we would call you to view a situation, what God may be wanting to say in a particular situation. Um, and, you know, so I think, I think just in terms of like having a prophetic voice, it's one thing to speak truth to power. It's another thing to do that in a way that's grounded as deeply as possible in the living word of God, it's himself. And in that, the Holy Spirit's at work. He's going to be giving you insight into how you can view the world around you. And and what you need also is discernment. When is the right time? When is the right moment to speak truth? When is the right time to listen? When is the right time to say, hey, okay, I've got this sort of what I feel like is a prophetic word. And you may get counsel like, am I missing something here? Am I um, 
you know, sometimes you think prophetic word just means you speak completely unscripted without <laughs> any sort of forethought about <laughs> what you're going to say, because you're just going to be in the moment and you're going to be prophesying. Yeah. Everything I can tell, I mean, unless, it, I mean, we see some great freestyle rappers these days, you know, like that can just step up and let it flow. Old Testament, it's all poetry. This stuff is complex. And I don't think the prophets were just kind of rolling around just saying stuff. This is carefully thought out, well-conceived um, articulation of what they want God, they feel like God is, is trying to say. So we can we can obviously talk more about this, but, but those are a few thoughts on prophetic voice, um, some cautions as we think about it. Yeah, there's, and I don't know even know if there's a question in here, but if you, you know, if you have a response, I'd, I'd definitely be up to hear it. But that, uh, that dichotomy of like uppercase T versus lowercase T, I think that's, that's helpful. They're, they're so connected. I feel like I'm speaking, uh, maybe I'm spe- maybe even speaking for some listeners where <clears throat> uh, they might, they might have a, a pretty, you know, they might have grown up with a, a deep relationship with that uppercase T truth with this, like, this is what the word says. And they've been around people that really put a lot of value on that. And yet, while, while holding fast seemingly to that, to that, you know, capitalized T truth, um, they were missing things that had so many implications for people, for society, lowercase T's that were like, yes, this isn't, explicitly in God's word, but this would flow from like a Christ bearing life, I guess you could say. And so seeing that discrepancy, like, uh, I think in some cases has created distrust with those who hold fast to an uppercase T, but it also like has dwindled trust in truth, like as in truth itself, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a great, um, great word, you know, for instance, let's let's throw some issues out on the table that, that we're dealing with. All right, what what about um, policing? You know, as we look about the um, instances where we've seen, especially um, young black men who have um, either been killed or um, mistreated amidst. Uh, by by police officers and George Floyd, of course, comes to the forefront front of our minds. Okay, if you have the capital T and you're reading the Bible, you're not going to find like a direct word on policing per se, or exactly what should you do about what seem like injustices and, and which have proven in, in many of the cases to be unjust treatment um, seems to point to a deeper issue, but you don't have like spelled out, well, let me turn to against policing chapter two and, you know, right, or, right. or whatever. And so uh, in tr- there's this desire, especially in the younger generations, you know, for, pastors for for their leaders to be drawing on what god's word is saying and saying this is this is a vantage point from the word of of thinking through these things and that's why i think that esau macaulay's um reading while black and, and i assume all the listeners know about esau 
Um, but he's a, a colleague here uh, on the New Testament faculty uh, here at Wheaton College. Um, and one of the things he brings out, and I, and I think it's really a blessing of what the, um, one of the contributions among many of what black interpretive tradition can offer to a white interpretive tradition is that there's what he calls it, it is a black ecclesial instinct when you read the Bible. And the basic premise is that there's no such thing as really reading the Bible in a way that's disconnected from the social issues in our world around us. So if you will, there's that capital T that you're reading, but you're always doing it in connection with what you see happening in the world around, uh, around us. And Esau offers a really useful and thoughtful reading of the capital T truth in conversation with the challenges related to policing in our society to today. And so I think I, I would just point to Esau and what's being done there and what many ministers are doing, um, especially in the black tradition. I think of uh, Reverend Dr. Charlie Dates doing very similar things of holding a capital T to the highest authority but drawing on it in a way that addresses, if you will, and speaks in a lower T sort of way to what it looks like to live faithfully in our uh, society uh, now as, as we're facing things. So, so I think your point is a, is a great one of what do you do when, when A, our leaders haven't done well at bringing from the capital T truths that can really speak to uh, the issues we see in the world around us. Um, and, and if I could just keep going on this riff here, honestly, like in my training, what you were trained to do was set aside all of our present contemporary social agendas, even as an Old Testament scholar, set aside beliefs about Jesus and just go to the text and really try to read and understand what it would have meant in its original context. And if you've done that, you've done your job in reading the text well. Hmm. Now, that is completely out of touch with how the Bible has always been read since the very beginnings which the scriptures have, have always served as a living word of God that bears witness to Jesus and as a word that speaks to our world today. That This is how God is the means God wants to speak through. And although I am a huge fan of what I described to you, the importance of understanding scripture in the original context, I think it's a bit of a luxury, if you will, a privileged position of being able to kind of promote a reading of the Bible that isn't asking the socially engaged and in, in, in numerous instances, perhaps um, reading in a way that would draw upon that capital T truth in a way that uh, can speak prophetically to our world uh, today from that. So 
so those are a few few little uh, comments uh, along those lines. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to pause there and pick it up again next week in part two of our conversation on the prophetic voice with Dr. Andy Abernathy. In the meantime, if you have any questions or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media, on Facebook and Twitter at Tesserai Podcast. Thanks again. I look forward to seeing you next week.